breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode of Reform This. Yes, on Reform This every week, you and I together have a little conversation about the areas that need reform, the areas that are the front lines where the head of the spear is when it comes to bringing about change, actually treating the root causes of radicalization. And I hold no punches. You all know, uh, uh, if you've been listening before, you know where I stand politically, religiously, and elsewhere. And bottom line, I call strikes, I call balls, and just continue to watch the game, but trying to affect change. And I think when it comes to radical Islam, political Islam, revolutions, democracy, today's narrative, I try to rise in this program above hyperpartisanship, above the pathologies that prevent our country, that prevent the West from dealing with the primary maladies at hand. This week is no different. I want to talk to you about a couple things that uh, I think rise to the top and have some teaching moments, if you will, for us on a number of issues. What are those? First, yes, it's going to be about China and LeBron James. Can't help but talk about that. I think it brings into focus a number of the areas that I've been working on and you and I talk about it. I think you can take to the dinner tables at home. You can take to the water coolers at work and ask some tougher questions about celebrities. Second, we'll talk about the Kurds. We talked about it at length last week. It was the focus of the program last week. And I think there's been some changes, you know, so-called ceasefire for five days and what's happening to the Kurds and again what can we learn from what uh, what has transpired what we should have known is there any silver linings etc but first let's talk about this NBA who would have thought that the NBA would become a topic of conversation about Hong Kong, about China, about their inability to deal with democratic change. The demonstrations in Hong Kong have continued now for quite a while. They've continued now for months, and people are beginning to pay attention to the people of Hong Kong. Chinese want to control some of their judiciary. They've actually given up on that, and yet the people of Hong Kong continue to protest. People of conscience should support them. And all Daryl Morey, the Houston Rockets general manager, did last week was tweet out a tweet in support of Hong Kong. And all of a sudden, the rain of hell poured in about how could he betray, use his platform in the NBA for hurting people. And people continue to step in it one after the next And all Daryl Morey did was defend the people of Hong Kong who represent us more than others. And my response initially was, you know, listen, you might find those who did not like General Manager Manager Morey's response palatable for whatever reason you feel fealty to the tyranny of communist China. 
and its oppression. And we will get into some of their crimes against humanity, beginning with the Uyghurs, beginning with the people of China who are tortured, maimed, imprisoned for decades, decades under a communist, tyrannical military regime. And yet, do some research. I'm not going to get into the economics of the NBA, but do some research. And you'll find that their entire bottom line is significantly dependent on it. And thus, all of a sudden, you started to see responses. I'm going to get to one of the responses, which is Enes Kanter. I've talked to you about Enes Kanter before. Enes Kanter is a Turkish NBA player on the Portland team. A Turkish NBA player on the Portland team. And he hails from an Islamic, a, a Muslim family that is Gulenist. Fatullah Gulen is a Fatullah Gulen is a um, cleric that is controversial, and we'll get into some of that. But first, what did LeBron? I think what LeBron James said in response to. General Manager Maury's comments about Hong Kong is just beyond educational. Let's listen to him. We, we all talk about this freedom of speech. Yes, we all have speech. But at times, there are ramifications for the negative that can happen um, when you're not thinking about others. And only, only thinking only. about others. Um, I don't believe, uh, I don't want to get into a word, a, a word or sentence uh, feud with Daryl. But Daryl uh, Morey, but I believe he wasn't educated on, on, on wasn't educated in the situation, and, um, and he spoke, and uh, so many people uh, could have been harmed, uh, not only financially but physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, so just be careful what we what we tweet and we say and what we do. Even though yes, we do have freedom of speech, but there can be uh, a lot of negative that comes with that too. Last question, please. A lot of negative that can happen with that. He wasn't educated. He needs to be educated before he tweets. He believes in freedom of speech, but didn't even talk about the principles. Didn't even talk about what actually is happening in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong. He doesn't care. LeBron James, supposedly the woke, the woke guy who's always talking about, he speaks up on guns, he speaks up on uh, race issues, identity politics, etc., he understands there's a platform there. But no, when it comes to China, it doesn't matter what the people of China think. It doesn't matter what Hong Kong people are trying to do for freedom. And you know what? The economic pressure goes both ways. We're seeing now this week, ladies and gentlemen, people purchasing hundreds of seats and giving giving people Shirts that say "I stand with Hong Kong" as they fill the NBA stadiums with with support for the people of Hong Kong. We're starting to see, yes, the Houston Rockets jerseys and material have been removed from China, so they lost that income, but they're gaining it as other people in the West have continued to buy more and more in LeBron James stock, virtual stock. In American humanity has gone way down as people have lost significant respect for him. And as Cantor, a guy who tried to have a basketball camp, remember I talked to you about the basketball camp he tried to have in Dallas and the Muslim Brotherhood mosques 
boycotted it and told their kids not to go because this American basketball player was such a threat, a cultish threat, they said, as they defamed him, as they as they lied about him. And he spoke out. He used his platform, his hundreds of thousands, if not more, followers to express that he has freedom of speech. He's not going to hurt kids. He wants to teach them basketball. His theology is no threat. Actually, it's the Islamists that think that America can be like Turkey, that can be like Saudi Arabia or Iran. No, this is America. We don't interfere in people's personal religious freedom. We don't interfere in their freedom of speech, but we protect their rights to be free. And in fact, Ennis Cantor has been doing so for months. He wrote an op-ed just a few weeks ago talking about the pressure that he suffered, not only in Dallas, but in New York and elsewhere, as the Islamists have threatened his family in Turkey, have threatened others and told them, if you don't pull out your kids from the basketball camps that he is doing for youth and will do next year and on, that they will be threatened by Turkish police and elsewhere. And he has documented this and talked about it in his editorials. And he told LeBron James, you are more. You are more. And I said he was at Portland. I'm sorry, he was with Boston Celtics. He told him, you, you are more than an athlete. He can't simply dismiss it as being uninformed and that's insulting he said I'm more than an athlete and that's all he said and he understood everybody understood that Cantor 27 was pushing back and he stood in front of the Massachusetts State of House Representative to tell lawmakers about his own fight for freedom from the Turkish government He said, blessed to tell the inspiring stories of innocence of the world and my fight for freedom, hashtag, what we need the most. And huge thanks to the Massachusetts state representatives. He revealed he was harassed by people he called sympathizers of the Recep Erdogan regime in Turkey as he and his teammate Taco Fall were leaving a mosque in Boston. He vowed he was not going to stay silent even as he continually receives death threats. LeBron, that's how it's done. He said, Ennis Cantor said, professional athletes have an enormous opportunity to be a source of inspiration for the younger generation. Lead by example and prove to them that as long as you stand up for what you believe in, everything is possible. I'm looking forward to giving my best to the Boston Celtics and enjoying this new chapter of my NBA career with people in this great city who welcome me warmly. I have a prominent platform and I want to use it to promote respect for human rights, democracy, and personal freedom. For me, this is bigger than basketball. Being a champion of tens of thousands of voiceless people back in my home country carries a risk that includes death threats and arrest warrants. Freedom is not free, he wrote at the end of the list he tweeted. He tweeted that they've jailed his dad. His siblings can't find jobs. They've revoked his passport. Erdogan has brought him an international arrest warrant. His family can't leave the country. He's gotten death threats every day. He's been attacked and harassed at mosques and elsewhere. And they've tried to kidnap him while he was in Indonesia. And this is all because of his support of Fatullah Gulen. And again, 
the Gulenists have their issues. I'm, I'm, I, I have my criticisms of them, but the bottom line is, is uh, that's their internal theology. They're as Muslim as anyone else who self-declares to be Muslim, and they're certainly not Islamists, radicals like Erdogan and jihadists are of the Muslim Brotherhood and other AKP types. We're going to talk about uh, Turkey's ideology when we talk about the Kurds in a little bit. So, LeBron James, King James as his Twitter handle is, you're a disgrace. You are an unmitigated disgrace. The economics, I think, will soon be shown that when you violate, when you stand against American principles, ultimately this is a good country. This is a country that is the beacon for freedom, the city, of, the city on a hill that is the hope for those who want to be free, regardless of ultimately what happens with some of our policy mistakes which we we get into even in this program. The bottom line is nobody can take away from our citizenry and our history what we stand for and what we've defended. And to see the NBA leadership try to pressure general managers like Maury, teams like the Houston Rockets, and others to kowtow to a communist tyranny because of investments in their team, sales of their merchandise, tickets, I think they will find that in the end the investment will be lost. Not only is it a direct pull of whatever percent the Chinese might have influence on the NBA, but the influence of the American people, just as we saw with Colin Kaepernick's bended knee, he might have a message, he might have an activist cause that he wants to do, that's even an internal domestic issue. Colin is far more, I think, righteous in what he's doing, even though I disagreed with him bringing his politics into football. But to stand with the people of Hong Kong is a foreign defense of democracy. That is what America stands for. And there have been players that are Chinese that have served and played on our teams and sometimes that's all the managers are trying to express so I think it's amazing on this program we talk about reform we talk about what are things you can do uh, the people of uh, the, the Uyghurs the Uyghurs of China millions in camps concentration true concentration camps where they're being forced to either give up their religion uh, uh, tear up their Quran eat pork, do things that are just against their faith because the communist the communist government is trying to disabuse them of their religious practice. And they're being tortured and deprogrammed for years as a result. That plight is being ignored. And when LeBron tells Maury to get educated, it sends a message. It sends a message that the Chinese can suppress free speech when when multi multi millionaires, if not near billionaires, think they might lose in their investment. And you know, there's we see the same thing. This is so important on this program because I've talked to you about the same thing with the Saudis and our gas prices. I've talked to you about the same thing with the with the sanctions against Iran as as Obama tried to sell 
giving them $150 billion because corporates, corporations like Boeing and others be able to invest in Tehran and begin to open an economy. You can't open an economy run by a tyranny, run by a military theocracy. It doesn't open, it just feeds the beast. It just feeds the beast. There's been no demonstration that opening of any economy where military dictatorship exists brings peace to those people or brings prosperity and innovation. Now, you can make the argument that that has happened a bit in China. They are sort of a blend of communist tyranny and their central authority and a little bit of capitalism with Lenovo, Apple, and others producing their products there. But I would tell you that I've actually been much more supportive of President Trump's approach to that in that those companies should be bringing their products here even if it costs a little more to make and they're not exploiting the cheap labor in China or their pathological economy, which is controlled by a socialist tyranny that wants to bring these companies in to steal our technology. There's not that much innovation. Most of it is stolen technology produced by creative individuals that live in the lap of free markets here in the West. So lesson learned. Lesson learned that when celebrities want to do freedom, they need to do it more consistently. They need to not have a bigotry of low expectations when it comes to Chinese or Uyghurs or the NBA, that they need to have a consistency in their approach. And in the end, the investment will be worthwhile. It might not pay up front. They might lose some money up front. But in the long run, I do believe that it'll be worthwhile. Next, we talked about the Kurds last time. We talked about the Jenga effect. What's the Jenga? It's like pulling that piece out of the puzzle as that Jenga piece is not as stable as it was when it started. It was teetering. And you pull this piece and that piece as you remove troops and you're left with that one last piece that it looks like if you pull it, the thing will fall. And it's pretty obvious. We all know that if you pull that piece, the entire Jenga complex will fall and you will lose. And does not matter? Do we care? Syria is not a game. There have been a half a million killed, 10 million displaced. And make no mistake, the fault of that was Obama administration's eight years of abandonment of Syria to radicalization of rebels by the Turks, by the Saudis, by the Qataris especially, and the hegemonization of Syria and Iraq by Iran as we chased after the figment of an Iranian nuclear deal. So this week, after we pulled the troops the few hundred, we didn't really pull them, we moved them over, and then we went. We were in such a hurry, we imploded and quickly destroyed the material of our troops at the ISIS, counter-ISIS headquarters. Our own material, blown up by missiles from our jets. And next thing you know, Turkey's now going in and incursions in 20 miles into the Syrian border. Numbers are that since that since that invasion happened by Turkey, you had 600 dead, 300,000 displaced. They were not attacking military. They were attacking families, neighborhoods, displacing them, pushing them back. And the map of Turkey is expanding. 
Now, why would Assad allow that? Russia moved in quickly, as did Assad, into where American troops were. So to them, strategically removing the intelligence apparatus of the United States in that area and weakening the Kurds provided a far stronger strategic chess move for them than what they lost by handing Turkey 20 miles of territory. And now the information war begins. The information war begins. The Jenga piece has fallen off. Syria's and Turkey's jihadists are now moving in and starting to produce news reports saying that the YPG, which is the Peshmerga, the Kurds, had turned Armenian churches into headquarters for terror outfits. And thus you see comments from those who supported pulling our troops saying, well, the Kurds are not angels. Again, the first casualty of war is the truth. Look at who's producing this. And, you know, I have to tell you, I saw President Trump repeat, uh, retweeting and having a conversation on Twitter with Recep Erdogan about Recep President Radical Jihadist Erdogan talking about defeating terrorism and that he will take over the suppression of ISIS and return peace and to the region and the victory lap being taken yes we'll give credit uh, secretary whatever credit is necessary I, I don't know yet what that means but there was a ceasefire there seemed to be a decrease in fire now it was not a ceasefire because within 24 hours we saw violations of that but it was only for five days that five days seemed to coincidentally end when Erdogan was going to be meeting with Putin so now all of a sudden you've got an area in which most of them are our enemies, be it Assad, Iran, Russia, or Turkey. And to see President Trump then respond to Erdogan's comments about defeating terrorism, and in all caps, President Trump says, defeat terrorism, and thanking Erdogan for doing that. Make no mistake, they're not going after terrorism. The Turks are going after expanding the Turkish map and cleansing out the Kurdish population. Remember we talked about this last week. 40 million Kurds. 15 million in Turkey. 2 million in Syria. They were starting to push on the edge. Now, where was the attacks before? There's been no, no reports that there have been acts of terrorism being done in Turkey that needed a massive response like this? Imagine if the United States decided to all of a sudden when we did when we did invade into Afghanistan, our country was attacked on 9-11 in the Pentagon and elsewhere. This was a response to the base of where Al Qaeda was based. What was the attack that was happening to Turkey that demanded an incursion into Syria? And why would Assad allow that to happen? Why would Putin allow it to happen unless there was some common interests, unless there was an arrangement already made and the United States was basically irrelevant. Make no mistakes, Erdogan, 
You know, I hear people wringing their hands. Well, Turkey is a NATO ally. We, we, what do you want us to do? You want us to go to war with them? No. There were other options we could have done. And this discussion on this program is so important. Why? Because as we weigh understanding the interconnectedness of the balance of these countries and the ideologies, it weighs what benefit or harm can come from allowing them to spread. So Turkey... Yes, they're a member of NATO, but there's a way to contain them. They threatened Europe with, with sending last week 3 million refugees into Europe. Does Europe just sort of say, oh, no, no, please don't? How do they respond when a NATO ally, President Erdogan, the militant jihadist that he is, remember his party is the AKP, the AKP is the... Ikhwan al-Muslimin, the Muslim Brotherhood of Turkey. Their platform is an Islamist Sharia state. Erdogan sees himself as the neo-Ottoman caliphate. Caliph. And to think that somehow he's going to defeat terrorism means that he can look in the mirror and say that he can defeat himself. <laughs> he's a militant Islamist. He is the penultimate jihadist running an Islamic state, the Islamic Republic of Turkey. I know that's not what it's called, but that's what it's become under the AKP. And they're going to ultimately need a Turkish spring to respond to Erdogan internally. So what does he do? He's up for election soon, and he also will use this incursion to say that he's brought back strength to the Ottomans, to the Turks into the region a push back against the terrorist Kurds who have long, long generational animosity, not only between the Arabs and Kurds, but mostly between the Turks and Kurds, between the Iranians and Kurds, between the Iraqis and Kurds. And we see in Kurdistan, and you have to hand it to the Kurdish community in Syria, it was probably one of the least pummeled areas because the Assadist army did not have the wherewithal to be able to defeat them. The Russians did not have the wherewithal to send enough troops to to do anything with them. And the Kurds had the wherewithal to defeat ISIS. They lost 10,000, if not more, doing so. But they did it by allying themselves with the United States. And they never hurt one of our troops. And we had our headquarters there in Avlong. There are monuments. There are memorials in recognition of the U.S.-Kurdish alliance since post-9-11 and our invasion into Iraq. And I get it that we wanted to remove our troops, but there's a way to do that. So you see Europe being threatened by a NATO ally. So what we do is we contain that so-called ally as we're doing now. President Trump appropriately, it appears that we're starting to look at removing the nukes that we have based in our base in Turkey. It looks like we're beginning to look at, we stopped their ability to get parts related to jet programs, missile programs. We uh, expressed our discontent with their uh, attempt to get Russian missiles, and I, don't, I can't remember if that was actually stopped or not. Bottom line is, is that they are not a friendly actor. And yes, it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, simply to remove them from NATO unless they ask to leave. But they can be contained. And if they're going to be threatening American troops, then we quickly do shuttle diplomacy and get other EU countries to put their troops there. 
and see if Erdogan is actually going to declare war not only in the United States by firing at our troops. And remember, when they started firing, even when we moved our troops, they launched missiles or whatever it was into areas very near our troops, demonstrating, as most experts say, that they wanted to prove that they knew exactly where American troops were. It was an intentional fire of, of shots as warning shots telling them, we know where you are, don't move, we're going in to commit these acts of war and crimes against humanity, against Kurdish communities that you will not be able to stop and you will not be able to do anything about. And unfortunately, we complied. Now, do I want us going to war against Turkey? No. But I think to say that somehow just pulling troops is about ending wars that ended up starting one, it ended up... The story, you know, there was a story about a journalist. A journalist that was lost as one of the first casualties of this war. After we pulled our troops, a brave journalist by the name of Aman, I'm sorry, Amanj Babani. Assassinated earlier this week on Wednesday in central Soleimania. A Kurdish journalist and TV presenter, Babani, was working, as news reports I'm reading to you said, working with the NRT News Channel, which was confirmed his death after reports from police and medical sources. He was accompanied by his wife and only son, who were also, who were also shot dead. Son was somewhere between one and two years old. Shot Babani's wife was a journalist with a different Kurdish news outlet. So you can't help but just... uh, The Turks are merciless jihadists. They're the ones who radicalize. Let me give you another story here, a narrative that I think speaks to exactly why the Islamist jihadists of the Turks are not the ones that are going to contain ISIS. They're the ones that are going to give new life to ISIS as they're released from prison and... They're going to infuse Turkish hegemonic Sunni radical Islamist ideology into them. Here's the narrative. The Syrian photographer and cameraman was a guy by the name of Al-Harath Rabba. Al-Harath Rabba. He was with a group called Ahrar al-Sharqiyyah. Ahrar al-Sharqiyyah is a radical Islamist group that was fighting the Kurds and is fighting the Kurds in Syria. This guy leaves Syria, pushed out by Kurds. His group was defeated by the Kurdish community, by the courageous warriors of the Kurdish community and pushed into Turkey, becomes a refugee, and goes and settles in Germany as a refugee. And this is one of the refugees. And I think this narrative speaks to so many parts of the story that people just don't want to acknowledge as being a significant factor. Yeah, many and most of the refugees are good, humble Syrians kicked out by the genocidal Assad regime, but we have to recognize a significant portion 10, 15, 20% were jihadists who were losing the wars there. This guy, Al-Harath Rabah, 
has an Instagram account, and he post he posts in December twenty fifth, two thousand fifteen. Nothing nothing comforts me except my dua, my look, and my picture. And he shows that he's in Germany, and the beautiful, calm park next to where he lives. And then he takes pictures with other Syrian refugees. And then he talks about being near City Hall and all the areas in Germany that he is. And then, fast forward to last week at Harath Rabah on October 12, films himself back with his group Ahral al-Sharkiyya, blocking the M4, the road in northern Syria, back in Syria, doing a selfie video and showing the execution of Kurds, including the female politician Hervin Khalaf and her entourage. Khalaf was another one of the major journalists that was killed and slaughtered, execution style, early on when the Turks went through where the American troops used to be. France 24 had an, had an expose about the executions being done on the M4 road by the jihadists that were from Turkey going in. And the videos were being posted. And France 24 showed them for educational value of what the jihadists of Turkey supposedly counter-terrorists, actually terrorists were doing this. They are terrorists. They might be fighting other terrorists. There's no doubt that the Kurdish community, some of them, may have been like the PKK are they should they still be terrorists Michael Rubin makes a really good argument that they are no longer a terrorist group now are they communist likely yes some of their ideologies may have changed and may have evolved but the bottom line is is that it's very different to label an entire group a terrorist group versus looking at their ideology the ideology of the AKP party and their military is jihadist. There's no doubt about that. These are not secular liberal Democrats. And the narrative of this Rabah, who was with Ahral al-Sharqiyya, the Al-Qaeda-type Islamist group from Syria, they were defeated by the Kurds, and now, simply with the pull of that last Jenga piece of the American troops there, like a demilitarized zone, peacekeepers. We pull them out and we lay the Kurdish community out for displacement. And I'm sorry, we see our leadership talking about peace being brought to tens of thousands and the ceasefire preventing the loss of thousands of lives. Well, okay, but the Turks got everything they wanted. What compromise are they making? The Kurds are being asked to shift 20 miles down and disperse while they killed their some of their leading journalists and their military positions are all defanged. They weren't attacking Turkey across the border. There's no evidence of that. It was just an opportunity for Turkey to expand their state, for the Islamist Ottomans to expand and to counter their generational existential threat. If you look back at this Rabah, he was not just all of a sudden activated when this happened. 
shows that he had gotten to re-engage with Ahrar al-Sharqiyya back in the Turkey-Afrin operation in January, February, March 2018. And yet he was trying to get asylum in Germany. So I think this speaks to a lot of the pathology that we see among the refugees, the the concept that this ally of ours, Turkey, is with us against ISIS is absurd. They just picked them as the most militant and grotesque of the Islamist groups and the rebels that they wanted to put into place after Assad, and that would simply be an extension of the Turkish Islamic State, the Sharia supremacist state, and it would not be in any way a liberal democracy as the liberal arms of the Syrian rebels could never have fought with groups as radical as the ones I just described to you. They're not Islamists. So there was significant complications (laughs) to the different groups that exist there in Syria. And I know there's hundreds of different factions, and we're not going to straighten that out. But there are ways in which we could have gotten our troops out without just sort of blindly pulling it impulsively quickly and then allowing the pieces all to fall to the ground. I think we could have gotten the UN involved. Maybe not. The UN is pretty useless. But at least the EU and our NATO allies and say, you know, listen, these ISIS troops are going to be released. If we don't, if you don't do it, we're done providing support. We're done. We can leave a few soldiers with the international forces, but it's not just going to be an American operation. And the Turkiye that wants to spread into Iraq, that wants to spread into northern Syria, we will not allow to happen. It needs to maintain its current borders. And that would be the ultimatum. And let's see Erdogan walk not only through American troops, but through German, British, French, Italian troops. I don't think that was going to happen. So there are a lot of lessons there. Lessons about how is the method in which we pull out troops? How can the United States end its unnecessary placement of troops. Some of our troops are necessary. I mean, if the president decided to pull our DMZ troops out in in Korea, I think the vast, vast, vast majority of Americans would disagree with that, even though, yes, we don't want our troops in war, but they're not in war there. They're peacekeeping troops. And that's one of our fundamental responsibilities, I think, in the planet to protect our security is to prevent the hegemonic spread of those who want to see us ill. Not militarily, but at least as a prevention, in a Reagan-esque kind of way, peace through strength. And I know President Trump believes that. His, uh, his, his green light to decimate ISIS, as he allowed Secretary Mattis to do that and do what Obama never would, I think showed that he believes in a peace through strength. The problem is, is that times the impulsivity of wanting to withdraw troops I think gets in the way of sort of a rational methodical approach to doing it over a month or two rather than over one day not to mention this this uh, interaction and and deference he's been giving Erdogan I just don't get I don't get it No experts that I've talked to that I respect see Erdogan as a good actor. He is an Islamist jihadist. 
and there's no American interests. I understand they're with NATO, but to say that somehow they're going to drive through our troops, A, I don't believe they would do that, and B, if they are, we call them out publicly beforehand, we do sanctions before, not after. Because that's what American from America's position of strength should be. Last, I have to take two minutes and just call out. Listen, as you know, I've been I've been critical of Tulsi Gabbard and her bizarre positions on deference to Bashar Assad and the 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 mental gymnastics she goes over to say she's critical, but yet he's against ISIS, and yet she's always. Uh, providing deference to the Iranian regime. Rarely ever you'll find her say anything critical of them, and yet she has has been vulgar in her criticism of President Trump as she said that he is Saudi Arabia's B. <laughs> you finish the word. So her, her, her worldview is very much in line in the Middle East with the worldview of Assad and the Iranians. It's just not an American worldview. That's a valid criticism. But now we had Hillary Clinton again step in it, and you see the left beginning to describe her as a Russian asset. Well, what does that mean? Do you guys realize that when you start describing somebody as an asset, that basically means they're on the payroll, that they are literally an agent? Just because somebody says things that help them, there may be... Who knows? Yeah, it'll it'll come out in time. Time will eventually show why Tulsi Gabbard turns a blind eye to the genocide committed by Assad, why she took rides through Damascus at Assad's side and took pictures, uh, 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 many of them smiling with him in front of children as he slaughtered children on the other side of the city. Time will show exactly why that happened. But to describe her as a Russian asset, I think, lifts her up, makes her into a victim, and allows her the the oxygen to continue the pylon legitimately on Hillary Clinton and the establishment. So to all those, if you're going to fight a candidate on ideas, fight them on their ideas, on how crazy they are, on her background how wacky her ideologies are and her her positions are, how anti-Israel, anti-Semitic her positions are about protecting Israel's security and our alliance with them. But to call her an asset is just something that can't be proven, is, is, is in many ways libelous, and I think only gives her more oxygen and lifts her up. So stop it. And Hillary will do it because that's what she does. <laughs> so, it's always great to be with all of you. Thank you for listening this week. Always a lot to be learned. And I think everything's an opportunity to figure out how we can hone in as we learn about being true to democracy in China. We'll learn how to work with the Muslims that share our values. As we learn about being true to the, the lens of being anti-Islamist and anti-Jihadist, will be true to our principles of protecting our allies, the Kurds, who share, many of them share their vision 
for a more peaceful world, a secular liberal democracy based in national identity, not based in Islamic Sharia supremacism. All these things come together. There are common themes that don't need to be wasted on opportunism from day to day without knowing the why. The why things make sense. From Syria to Iraq to China. All right. It's always great to be with you. We'll see you next week. God bless. Tune in next week at Reform This. Follow me on Twitter at Reform This Radio and at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D R Z U H D I Jasser, J A S S E R, at the Blaze Radio Podcast. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.